Hello, hello everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SAS District. On today's episode, we will be talking about how to decide whether you should plow ahead and keep growing your startup, or you should shut down and pivot and move on to the next startup early on. Today, we have our guest, Tom Hunt, with us. Tom is an expert at building startups and SaaS businesses. After graduating from Imperial College in London, he decided to build Virtual Valley, which was a marketplace that connects online entrepreneurs and virtual assistants or VAs from scratch while traveling the world. He then sold 90% of the business back in 2017, where he then built up Repairly as the CEO, which was on an on-demand mobile phone repair delivery service. He is now the co-founder of Bcast, a podcast hosting platform for high-growth businesses. He also the managing director at SaaS Marketer, where they publish bi-weekly SaaS growth case studies and runs his own podcast, Confessions of a B2B Marketer. At SaaS Marketer, he also helps SaaS businesses grow with their own profitable podcasts, which we'll talk about more today. Finally, Tom is an angel investor at many, many startups, including Gleam, Dust Foundation, Taz, Epsta, Parable Labs, and Stashby. So welcome, Tom. Nice to see you again and uh, glad to be able to join us today. Uh, thank you so much for that very extensive intro. Um, <laughs> was, uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll dig. It's uh, pretty accurate, but I will dig into some of the details. Like, I'm not sure about expert. Um, but we'll dig into that. Okay, okay, we'll, we'll find out in the next couple of minutes here. Um, before we get into it, I'd love to hear your story on how you built up, you know, Virtual virtual Valley. I think that's when we first connected a couple of years ago. And then you exited within, you know, two years, which is, is pretty quick. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I thought it, it wasn't for like a life-changing amount. And it was more like a, it was more like I didn't want to be in the business anymore. And so I sold it, not because it was like selling it because I was going to make a shed load of money. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but the, 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 so the question was, how did I build Virtual Valley? Yeah. Yeah, what's the story cool. about how you yeah. started so, it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so basically I, I did chemistry at uni. Mm -hmm. I had four years in management consulting. And I realized I didn't, well, throughout the whole time, I, I knew I didn't want to do that. And so I was like, how can I quit my job? And so the first thing I did is in consulting, I did a lot of work in outsourcing. So I built my own team in the Philippines, like separate from my job. And then we sold those people to startups in London. And so that was the first business. Well, actually before that, there was like five different things, but that was the first one that actually got some traction. Okay. And so I replaced the salary of my job at the consulting company whilst I was doing that. And so I left. Um, and, and then I left and I started being a digital nomad, like traveling the world in 2015. And then I realized that business wasn't going to scale. I was very involved in finding the clients and working with the clients for that business. And so then I was like, okay, how can we scale this? And then I started learning about marketplaces and we basically pivoted from the service into the marketplace. And so it, it was startup consulting with the name of the service. And then we pivoted, transitioned all the clients over to the marketplace called Virtual Valley, which was just connecting online entrepreneurs with a curated marketplace of Filipino virtual assistants, then managing all the payments and all the time tracking through the, the process. It was like a niche upwork. Okay. And I was, and it, it was, actually wasn't that long from my starting it to selling it. Um, I thought there were some problems in the business model, but looking back now with like hindsight and a bit more wisdom, I actually don't think the problems were like that significant. And I could have just kept going um, if I wasn't, 
Like, but basically what happened is I was very in, in, inexperienced entrepreneur. Sure. I, I had no advisors or investors. It was completely bootstrapped, so it was just me on my own. And I was incredibly burnt out and overworked because I went so hard for like 18 months. Right. And then I, for any entrepreneur probably knows that there are times where you're working and you're like, I hate this. I don't want to do this anymore. And most people just like take a week off and they come back to it and keep going. But I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. So I, so I like listed it and sold it within, within a month. Wow. And so, but looking back now, if I just kept going with that for the past three, four years, right? I think it, I think it still could have probably worked and it could have probably been a sizable business now, but I didn't. And I've done a lot of other stuff since then. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that, that's like the story. Yeah, I remember there was a story. That's when I think I first heard you on a podcast where you were talking about how you did like a hundred and something blogs and like, you know, guest posts in like 30 days. So you were probably just going, you know, super. Yeah. My whole life was just working on Virtual Valley. I was traveling. I think I was living in Poland for six months of it. Mm -hmm. Most of the time on my own. And all I was doing was just in this house, like in a room in a house that I was renting. Yeah. Sleeping in the room, getting up working maybe leave the house once per day to get food and then go back and then work and then sleep it's just like it wasn't very healthy just to add to this so when you're working in management consulting you were building this on the side how long was it before you were you know go from that uh you know mode of still working both and managing both until you were able to replace your income and walk away yeah so i set my it was the start of 2014 i set the goal that i was going to replace my salary by the end of the year okay and so for the first five six months i was trying to load the different stuff maybe online marketing and then landed on this one in about july and then by december actually by january i had left i had replaced the salary so we were charging like between 600 and a thousand pounds per one of our team per month based whether how many hours yeah and we had like a team of six to seven so it was like six, six grand revenue um and about fifty percent cost, so I was able to live off the three grand. That's not bad. And then uh, from there, was it that you jumped into starting? I think Repairly as the CEO, and I know you. Yeah, you I know that. Oh uh, yeah, so we, it, it was from there. Well, yeah, no, there was actually a couple of other ones in between that that we won't talk about. Okay, but sure. We, yeah, so <laughs> we actually got funding and moved. So the the, the kind of shiny object that drew me away from Virtual Valley was a, co- a company that we got a small amount of funding for, mm-hmm. joined an accelerator in London, built out, didn't work in the end. And then we pivoted that and started trying to bootstrap again, but then we, we didn't understand how long it was going to take to bootstrap, so we ran out of money. Then I joined Repelli. I didn't found that. I joined as COO, and there was like five of us in the team. Okay. Responsible for growth and operations. And then that, yeah, I mean, that was it was a cool business. It was like delivery or like um, on-demand phone repair, like really cool. But it was like pretty... It was really hard, really hard to do operationally. Like what, like stuff would happen, like the drivers would be delivering the iPads, like that cost like 600 pounds each and they get hit by a car and both the iPads would be completely broken. And we wow. had have the challenge with obviously the driver being hit by the car and we had to just pay 1,200 pounds for the two iPads that are just broken and that eliminates the profit from like 100 orders. And so it's just really, really hard. And so that was funded, but then, and we needed to hit, we were like 25 grand per month revenue. Yeah. And we needed to hit like 30, over 30 in a few months for this investor to give us yeah. another like 250K, I think he said. Yeah. And so I was doing the marketing and the operations. And so I was like, I know what we're going to do. We're going to launch in five other cities. We were just live in London at the time. Okay. And so then we launched in these five cities and then we ended up, <laughs> we ended up losing loads of money in March. 
I think this must have been March 2017, we lost £26 for every phone we um, fixed in the month. And we probably fixed like between two and 300 phones. And so, yeah, we were just hemorrhaging cash. And so we, we didn't quite get to the revenue mark because the operations and these other cities were a shambles. And then so we didn't get the investment, so we had to shut it down. So that brings us up to uh, start of 2018, maybe? Yeah, start okay. of 2018. And, and, and then, so I'm, I'm curious on that $26 mark. So how did that factor in? Like, was it, so you, you fix it, is it the delivery cost, the repair, you have to pay the guy to repair it. And then, you know, all the kind of yeah, service yeah. and all that it just, just, there was no profit from the beginning. Like the whole model was kind of flawed. You know, we can dig into the unit economics if you want. I remember. So we, let's say 70 pounds, someone was paying to get an iPhone seven screen fixed. Okay. We would pay the engineer 30 pounds. And then it was our job to pay the, uh, the couriers and the distributors, right? Okay. And so we had the in-house couriers that would, yeah, and somehow, yeah, sometimes we'd end up paying like 20 pounds for the courier. So there's the, the engineer cost, the courier cost, and then there's also the part cost. So we were, we, we were buying the parts and giving them to the engineers. The part cost, that wouldn't have been that much. It would have been like six pounds. Um, and so it, it left like 15 pounds of margin for us. Um, or maybe a bit more than that because we also had the customer acquisition cost, right? And we we're, were running mainly from SEO which, and AdWords and the blended customer acquisition cost might have been like 20 pounds. Okay. And so there, there's this very, it's like 10 pounds margin contribution. And so if anything went wrong in that process, like we were late and we have to refund or like it, if the phone had to go back, it's called a re-repair when the phone wasn't perfect, it had to go back. The engineers are obviously, because it's white labeled both, we're apparently our brand. The engineers were not incentivized to do a great job because the customer knew nothing about them. So they, their incentives were just, just to do a shit one. And so then we'd have to, a re-repair would mean we'd have to, we wouldn't pay the engineers for that, but we'd have to pay for the couriers. And so if we did a re-repair, it's basically not profitable. So it was really hard. Um, but, and so I, I joined, took equity and a salary, but I didn't really spot how hard that was. Mm. Um, but still, it was really good learning experience, both on the marketing side and on the, uh, operational side yeah i imagine yeah with like 10 percent almost like less than 10 percent margins and then yeah like your if your cat can't even make up for it like that's that's a tough business right compared to SaaS yeah. nowadays right yeah yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> and then you started i think was it that from then you started investing in in you know different angel round startups or in like you know why yeah. did you decide to go that route rather than you know say let's i'm gonna go out and build it after you shut down repairly and start building your own companies what was that like? yeah no so i think i used the money from virtual valley to invest the first one Okay. At least. So why did I do that? Um, I think I do. Why didn't I take that and invest in my own business? I'm not really sure. Maybe it's diversification. Um, also, I did. I like doing that. I do like the process of meeting people, understanding their products, and putting money in. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're right. I, I think now I've kind of stopped doing. It. I did one last year, but I don't think I'll, I'll do one for a while because I. I under, I, I think the businesses that I have now with two of them, uh, I have more control, I have more understanding of these, and therefore it makes more sense to focus resources because I'm diversified in other areas now. Right. So, I, yeah, I don't think I, I think I will invest more in my businesses going forward. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I guess at that point, maybe you're burnt out. You don't want to get into, you know, operationally into something right away. You have sitting on some cash and you're like, oh, this sounds pretty good. You know, and I have a bunch of cash. I might as well. It sounds like I might make a bunch of money. So it makes sense. Yeah, I could do yeah. the mindset at that time. Um, and then, 
you know, less than a year ago from today, you know, you launched, I think, is it BCAS and SaaS marketers, both at the same time or SaaS marketers? So you do case studies. I know you have that Facebook group, you know, over a thousand members there now. You also have the podcast. Um, I want to hear a little bit more about BCAS because there is a lot of, you know, hosting providers. You know, we use a different one as well for podcasts. Maybe we'll look into this as well. But um, what differentiates that specifically from other hosting providers? I want to learn more about that. And then yeah, how, so how we, you started that. Yeah, yeah BCAS started because... I, we were running podcasts or we are running podcasts for businesses. It's a very specific type of podcast where you like take a position for the business and then you find other famous people in that niche, interview them, and then that path of authority, and you, you become this authority in that niche. Then also you try and um, gain some kind of benefit from the relationships that you've, from the guests, right? That's basically this podcast service that we run. Mm-hmm. And we were using, I think it was Transistor as the podcast host. And there were these things I really wanted it to do to help like automate parts of our process um, that it wasn't doing. And so then, so if, to, to, to set the scene here, I, I was running these podcasts, these businesses, and that came about because I had a job. I was head of marketing at a SaaS company. Okay. And we, we ran this podcast thing. It did really well. And then I was like, okay, I'll go and do that for other companies. Right, so that happened last year. And so I'm, I'm running this podcast for other companies. At the same time, I'm also building an audience in SaaS because that's where my interest is. I like marketing. I like writing about marketing. So I'd actually been building the SaaS audience since mid for like a year and a half. Actually, no, it's just a year since the start of 2019. Okay. And so I, I had the, the, this audience growing in SaaS. I had these clients that, that beat their SaaS and service agencies that were running podcasts for. And... Then I was like, this podcast host is not really doing things I wanted to do. And so then I wrote an email to the audience, the SaaS audience being like, does anyone have experience in web apps and is interested in podcasts? And then I got a reply from this guy called Neil. And then now me and Neil co-founded Becast, which is the, so- the, so- the software company. So here's, here's my strategy at the moment. <laughs> I'm quite proud of this. So we have, as I said, we basically have a media company, which is growing quite nicely now. We're publishing case studies and we have the podcast. It's like SaaS marketer.io basically. And the audience is SaaS marketers. We have the service. So, it's, so right now the majority of the revenue is coming from the service where we have six clients, uh, either service or SaaS businesses where we're doing this podcast process for. It's like a done fee service. Okay. And then we have the software, which obviously all the clients are using. And, uh, and if there's one other thing, if, if, if companies can't afford the service, then there's like a coaching program where I coach them and they, they get a year of the software, right? And so, and so they're obviously also using software. So the goal is that instead of most companies, they're like build a company and they'll build like a attack on a media brand, e.g. a blog on the site to try and get attention. Yeah. I think it's easier if you look at Sales Hacker, they've grown an incredible media brand and then and they have an incredible, incredibly profitable business. So my strategy is growing the media brand separate and then working out ways to monetize off the site, e.g. the service and the software. And so, that's basically what we have now. And Beekhouse came out of a need from the, the service company, from the clients that we had there, and us trying to run all these podcasts profitably as an agency. Hey, so you had the audience already kind of built up. So you have the publisher, you have the service, and then you kind of moved into, now you have the SaaS, you have the three kind of businesses, but they're all aligned and you know you share the audiences to kind of cross-promote. Cross and Yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah, exactly. And so on the ownership, I own 100% of the media company and the service company. And then uh, me and Neil are roughly 50% on the software company. But it, it's obviously very aligned in that, like, 
Bcast, if you go to Sasmati, you'll see Bcast everywhere because it's just, it's basically the same thing for me anyway. And if I'm a, like, who's the ideal market that works or target person? Is it a still SaaS company? They should consider using Bcast versus, I don't know, something, you know, like a... Yeah, yeah. So with the, the, the category we're trying to, we're creating with Bcast is, is B2B podcasting. So it's not for someone who wants to start a podcast about fishing. It's, um, it's a business who wants to start a podcast to grow sales. And so if the, if the most like ROI driven podcast host, or will be like, we, we've been building it for nine, nearly yeah, nine months now. And so it, it's getting there. It's like definitely a work in progress. We have like feature parity with most of the big players. There's some features that, that we don't have, um, but there's some features that we do have that no one else has, which are just focused on this market. Um, and so what I'm, my, my vision here is like a big value ladder, right? And it starts from somebody downloading our podcast or just going to the site to maybe give us the email address to get the case study every two weeks, then joining the Facebook group. Then the next thing up from that is probably signing up for a free trial for Bcast for their SaaS business. From there, maybe they need coaching or maybe they want us to run the podcast for them. And so it, it goes all the way through. Um, and, and that's the, the overall, that's the long-term vision. Um, and I think this, this way, it, it may be a flow, slower journey to build a SaaS company, but it's a journey where you don't have to give up any ownership to investors. And is that your goal? Cause I know you've, you've raised capital in the past. You've also joined companies who are funded and then you've also bootstrapped, for example, virtual Valley and other companies. Do you prefer that way? Like, uh, moving that round, working in that capacity of just going completely you know, yeah, full control? I, I think it depends. I think some businesses, it would be very hard not to raise money. But I think with, in like the, I think with podcast hosting or a lot of MarTech, SaaS, basically you need money if you have really complex technology or you need distribution. And so if you're not like good at marketing or, or you need deep tech, then you might need to raise money. But I think with podcast hosting, I, I, we, I think we are good at marketing and I can get the attention. Um, but we also, uh, don't need deep tech. That's not to say that someone in the future, if there's really good terms, that we wouldn't take money. But, sure. Um, we, we, yeah, if you, if you like need to raise or you really want to raise, you're going to get shit terms. So I don't know if I can spare that. Makes sense. Then I read, you know, I think a case study about your early success where you just launched, you know, Bcast and your beta, beta users, you got quite a bit of success there. Can you share a few tips, you know, what worked and what didn't work as you hoped to get your first users and where you are today in terms yeah. of the size, you know, whether it was through all directly through your distribution channel or was there other ways you tested out? Yeah, so I think what we've done well is the SaaS marketer side growing really well. That, that's growing because I think probably just because the content is good and there's no hack for that. Like I've been studying on their marketing, as we've said, since 2014. So that's probably why that's working. I know that's not that useful to the audience. But okay, no, actually why? So we, we have a very focused persona for that media company, which is the SaaS marketer. And we have a consistent, uh, specific content schedule, which is a, a case study about two to 5,000 words every two weeks. Okay. And that just happens like clockwork. So, so that's, that's what, well, and, and so that did, that found me a co-founder, but it also has found early users. Um, and then the other one, this is quite interesting, is the early customers for Bcast were not customers for Bcast, if you get it, right? They were people that I sold the service or the coaching to. And so by default, they're using the software and there's, there's virality in the software. So they're like bringing us new users. They're also giving us feedback for the software. Um, and... And so the, 
I think if you are bootstrapping, that services are such a good way of starting off because it means you, you don't have to, like you have money to live and you get to spend a lot of time with these people to understand what they want. Um, we wouldn't have even built Bcast if it wasn't for the service because the service came first and, and the service led to the learning about this podcasting for business thing. And then if I didn't know that, then there were, I, I wouldn't have even thought about building a podcast host. So I think services are a really, really interesting way of starting a software business. Makes sense. And do you have a technical co-founder like CTO is Neil that person or how yeah, are you able Neil. to build the, oh, he is? Okay. Neil, yeah, so he, yeah. he's got everything. We're, we're getting to a point now where we need to um, find someone else because he's overrun. Um, so yeah, I, I think back to that point on the services. If you really think about what a customer wants, they want a job to be done, they want a problem to be solved. They actually don't care if it's a human or a microchip solving that problem. And so you, 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 I think a really good way, if going and solving that problem with people yourself first and then other people in your team, and then as you go, you auto, you, if you have technical expertise, you then start automating part of that. And then you spin that out separately as a software product. That's like, I think that's a really nice way mm. of building a SaaS company. So, so some people who are looking to maybe, you know, jump from, you know, from their job to becoming a founder, maybe moving towards a service company, some example, like virtual Valley, which you created. And then if you built like a SaaS company off of virtual Valley using the income to live, it probably would have been a good route, right? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, if someone's looking to leave their job, the, the fastest way is to start just, so you, you take the learnings from, from what, what you're doing in your job and you're going to sell that to another company. You, you're probably not supposed to do that whilst you're working, whilst you're employed. But if, you know, so, so here's what you do. You get really good at your job, a very specific thing that you know other people want. You then transition to freelancing or contracting for that same company. So you still have income. And then you just take that case study with numbers and then sell it to three other companies in the industry. And then by that time, that you, you basically, you, at that point, it's probably too much work for you to do. And then you might have one person to help you with the work. Then you have enough income, in theory, to like live. And then you can hire a developer and start automating it. That's, that's probably what I would do. I love that. It's a, it's, a sick, it's a really good formula. I know we launched the you know, SaaS District podcast recently specifically for you know, SaaS, founder, SaaS founders, investors. Um, we understand like it's a long-term marketing channel. I think that's how we approach it. Um, you've done this for other SaaS companies as well as their, their channel, building out their SaaS, or sorry, their, their marketing through uh, podcasting. What value do you see in a startup launching their own podcast at this time? Or have you seen with your own podcast? Is it like more top of the funnel, middle of the funnel, or where, where do you kind of see it? Um, so the, the, the key here, I think, if people are looking to get an ROI from podcasts, is to, I think it's three, two steps probably. First is find a niche and provide something different. So find like a, a, a niche that's like a little bit uncomfortable. And then as long as it aligns with your business, what you're trying to do, then that's fine. Try and find something different about the podcast you're doing, about the questions you ask, the maybe you giving insights at the start, the type of guests you have, et cetera. Um, and then the other thing for like the other benefit there is what benefit are you getting out of the guests? Um, we run podcasts where they just interview their like perfect customers and we can't sell obviously in the podcast or around the podcast to those people, but that builds a relationship and then deals get closed. So one of our, actually my old employer and now a client, if we run a sales ops podcast, we brought on the head of sales ops um, intercom on the podcast 
and then we ended up closing a deal, right? So it's, it's looking at how you can cultivate the relationships with the guests over the long term to, to be partners, to be customers, or to be advisors or investors, et cetera. So that's what I think people need to look at. Okay. And we, so you say there's, the space isn't already overcrowded. I know the last few, few months or even years, like podcasting has just been growing. A lot of people are launching stuff. Would you say it's oversaturated at this point or still lots of room? I think like... I spend a lot of time thinking about this, right? Because we run podcasts for a lot of brands. I think that if you look, like, would you say like blogging is, is saturated? I probably wouldn't. It's just like proliferated into this like super like knit, like many, many different kinds of possible niches. I think that's kind of what is going to happen with podcasting. I think that the, I think the reading market is much bigger than, than the audio listening market. But the audio listening market is growing with like the smart speakers with AirPods. And so I think that as there's this equilibrium between the listening demand and the new audio content being chucked in. And so I think they're probably going to grow together uh, at some point that maybe there'll be more audio content chucked in with so many new podcasters, but then they won't get the downloads and therefore some of them will, will die off. But then this starts growing and then more of them come and I think it's just going to grow up together. Um, just probably like blogging did in the very early days of the internet. Mm-hmm. So cool. Okay. That, that's, that's my theory. I think I agree with that. Yeah. Um, you know, just to be respectful of your time, I know uh, just kind of last questions here. I notice you analyze and dissect wins from many other SaaS startups and you post that on your Facebook group, probably on your, on your publisher site as well. Um, which I find, you know, really enjoy. What, w- what would you say from your learnings are, are the two to three underrated growth hacks or, you know, marketing resources that many startup founders, you know, maybe don't normally consider to use and you've seen work really well? Yeah, I think I was writing down that there's like three things for anyone considering starting a company that they should consider. Okay. Um, and they also impact growth. And we've already covered one, which is the agency, transition from agency into software. Next is, I think, find a growing market. And then, especially if you're bootstrapped, don't try and take over the whole market, but take over a, a, a small niche in that market. Just like we're doing, podcasting is growing. We're taking this small niche that we can provide a, a better solution for. And so that's what I recommend for new people coming in is it, it's so much easier to, to sell something to people that actually want the thing you have. So that's the growing market. But then your marketing is going to get so much easier if you can focus the product and the way you talk about the product on a specific niche. And the final one is so crucial, I think now, especially when you're bootstrapped, is how do you get the, every new customer that comes in, how do you maximize the, the chances that they're going to expose your product to someone else as they use it? And so it's like commonly known as virality or product-led growth. And I think it's so, so important. You have to go through the whole process of using your product as a customer would and then work out, am I interacting with anybody else, whether that's other, my, my team, other, my partners, my customers, and how can I somehow expose my product to those people as you go? Cause that's how, like, that's how you don't have to raise a million pounds to spend on Google ads because you have this viral engine. Um, just one example, Bcast software, one of our clients interviews, uh, technical writers and documentation managers. Someone they interviewed on their podcast is a guy called Tom Johnson, who has a really big blog in the space called I'd Rather Be Writing. Mm-hmm. It's got like domain authority of like 82. He gets interviewed on the podcast. We then share the episode with him. He puts 
our embeddable player and links to the Bcast RSS feed for their podcast on his blog, they get to share load of traffic and that is really authoritative, right? And so that's virality through our customers, partners, which is actually like second level. Um, but of course we have our player on their blog, which is kind of exposing our, our brand to their audience, et cetera. So that, that's a really big one is how can you get your customers or even your customers partners in that case to show off your brand. To leverage their audience and, and use their kind of audience. Yeah, makes sense. Exactly. Um, what does the rest of 2020 look for you and what are you most excited for? Yeah, so it's, it's basically growing those, those three things and maybe one of them will become more prominent. Um, I think right now, the one I'm enjoying most and the one that's growing best is Bcast, um, but the media company is growing quite nicely. I still enjoy doing the work with the clients. So it's really just focusing and not like getting burnt out and not doing the thing I did with Virtual Valley where I dropped out too early. Right. Just focusing on these for the next three to five years, growing them slowly with all, the, all of the control and just seeing the, the change, like seeing the improvements and changes in the lives of the people that, that do the stuff. Like just even you saying that you like the case study is just, is great for me. Right. So it's just more of that, I think. Awesome. Uh, so, you know, where can our audience learn more about you and get in touch with you, learn more about Bcast and what you guys are doing? Oh uh, yeah. So sasmarketer.io is where we, where we do the case studies. And then Bcast.fm is where we have the podcast hosting software, but you can just search, search for Tom Hunt on LinkedIn as well. And you'll be able to find me. Okay. Awesome. And you also the Facebook group SAS marketers as well, right? Yeah. True. Yeah. 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 Okay. Awesome. Thank you, Tom. I really appreciate it. This was, this was great. No way. Thank you. I had, I had a lot of fun. All right. Awesome. Cheers. Thank you all for listening in to today's episode. Don't forget to join us for another episode where we interview top leaders and experts in the business and SaaS industry. If you enjoyed this episode, I ask that you please give us a five-star review on iTunes. That would be really, really appreciated. Otherwise, if you have any feedback, suggestions, or improvements for this podcast, please feel free to send it directly to me on our website at horizoncapital.com. Or you can just tweet me at Akil Jabbar. Thanks again and hope to see you guys on the next episode.